Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Amen. So we are the second out of three weeks in this series, Open the Floodgates, hashtag Open the Floodgates, and we are therefore one week away from our gift day. There are forms that we'd like you to use for the gift day uh, response, and we're inviting everyone to think about how they might stand with us in the light of the unexpected financial position we find ourselves in, as you've heard about on the video and perhaps elsewhere. The forms for you are all online. They're in wherever you might go online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, church app, the Friday email, uh, YouTube, and uh, anywhere else. You can find the links there this morning. We'd love you to uh, go online, fill in the form that you can fill in online, press return, send it back uh, to Gareth Roberts, our finance manager, sometime during this week, ready for next Sunday. That would be absolutely fantastic. Or you can print the form out if you like and fill it in and bring it with you next Sunday. That would be brilliant. Or you can take a copy of the form that's on your left as you go out, fill it in and bring it back with you. And I have no hesitation really in asking all of you just to spend a moment thinking about what your response might be. I don't know about you, sometimes I end up doing nothing, not because I decided to do nothing, but I never got round to deciding to do anything. And suddenly next week comes like an oncoming train and we're back here and you think, I haven't even thought about it. So think about when you might spend some time thinking about it. And the second reason I have no hesitation in asking you to do this is that I'd love all of you, even if you are making no financial change whatsoever, to still fill in the form and to give a big tick on the part of the form where it says, I'm not doing anything different financially, but I am praying for you and with you. I am standing together with the rest of God's family at Burlington and saying, I'm in it, we're with you, we're calling on God to sort out whatever he needs to sort out, and we're all in it together. So that form's all there for you to do that. Prayer room gets going this Thursday. Again, you can sign up in all of those places, and Sarah will be here um, at the end, out just in, out in the welcome area, for you to sign up uh, directly with her if you'd like to do that. Just a few things about the prayer room that perhaps we've been slow to explain because we've assumed that we all know what it is. The prayer room is going to be a room set aside in the church, on the top floor actually, in our church center, where people can go for one hour to pray, and then someone else will fill the next slot in the next hour, and so there'll be a continuous uh, roll of prayer 24-7. See what they did there? 24-7 prayer, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So uh, Thursday right through to the Sunday, people will be coming to pray. You can come during the night because we will have people here looking after the church. So you won't be entering a church building by yourself. There will be somebody already here. When you sign up for the prayer room, we will send you all the information this week, which will give you the codes to get in, who you will expect to see here, what you need to do, and so on. So you'll have all the practical details that you need. And then maybe you're thinking, what do I do when I get in the room? 
I find it hard to pray for a few minutes. An hour is going to be whatever an hour is going to be. The beauty about the prayer room is that no one will know what you do in there. So you can go in the prayer room and you can simply sit and be quiet in God's presence. You can go in the prayer room and you can go to the different places where others have already been and you can read some of the prayers that perhaps they've prayed or written or painted or expressed and simply receive what others have already prayed and offer that to God. Or you can go with someone else just to strengthen your arm a little bit so you don't feel isolated on your own, not knowing what to do. You can make of it in those moments all that you want to make of it. People are less keen to go by night because it requires more effort. Can I encourage you to think about a nighttime slot? There is something very something or other when you get up in the middle of the night and you head down here to pray. It's like a, it's like a meeting with God. I'll go for the night anytime, not because I find the nights easy. Once I'm asleep, I'm gone. But because that discipline of getting up, journeying, it's a bit like a pilgrimage to meet with God. Very Old Testament style, I'm going to go up the mountain to meet with God. There's something about that moment, the stillness of the night, that enables me and others of us to connect with God in that way. So don't be put off by the lateness of the hour, even if you are a bit sleepy the next day. It'll be worth it, even if the rest of your family on reflection, didn't think it was. So sign up. So you can get signed up today and in all those other uh, places. The last few times that we've had a prayer room, God has done some extraordinary things in people's lives. There is a book somewhere where people wrote in the book uh, their reflections as they left the prayer room, and we carry that through for a few prayer rooms. I can't find that book. I have a sneaky suspicion it was stolen when my office was turned over, uh, but maybe you know where it is. Maybe it wasn't in my office at that time, and it's somewhere here. I'd love that book if you know where it is. There is a promise that God has made. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. As I asked last week, how much blessing do we want? And blessing, of course, is always for others. God doesn't bless us so we can go, I'm blessed. God blesses us so that we can share the blessing liberally with others and those around us. How much blessing do we want for the last, the lost and the least, for our families, for our children, for those that don't know him yet? How much blessing do we want for this town of Ipswich, for the neighborhood here around this church building? And God says, you can test me. You can test me in this to see if I will not prove myself. It's the one time God says, go on, he goads us. Go on, test me. And we might think that the conditions are all about praying or singing songs or reading the Bible or coming to church a lot or coming to whatever it might be. But the condition is quite a surprising one. God says, test me in this. You handle your money right and see if I will not pour out so much blessing, you won't even have enough room for it. If we don't handle our finances, our finances will handle us. So, a few quick things that I said last week, uh, and I'll say them shorter this week just to get them out the way. Money is very emotive. What I say generally today may appear um, in your particular situation to be quite insensitive. Maybe you have no control over your family's 
finances. Maybe you're in debt. Debt is one of the last taboos. It's almost the last thing that we will talk about in our culture, but it is crippling a lot of people. And it puts Christians especially under a cloak, a blanket of shame, and it is your belief sometimes if you're in debt that there is no hope and you're too ashamed to own up to it and therefore the cycle of despair continues. We need this community to know that if you want to get out of debt, we have proper Christian professional help to enable you to do that. No one needs to stay in debt if they're serious about coming out of it. You can find freedom from that particular stranglehold and shame. God loves you and he wants to help you in that. Be bold enough and brave enough to whisper in my ear or somebody else's ear, do you know, I need some help to get that fixed. Second thing to say is take a chill pill, just relax, because there's no compulsion whatsoever to give anything. You are very, 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 very welcome here, and that's the end of that at that level. I don't know and won't know what you give or when you give it, so nobody needs to be anxious about that. I can talk freely about money. I'm employed by the church, but it won't make any difference uh, to me personally uh, in terms of the amount of funds that we give into the church. And whatever your material wealth, whatever your material wealth, these principles are true for all of us. It's about attitudes, not amounts. Your 50p can be a greater gift than someone else's 500 or 5,000. What we know is we want the floodgates to open. Are you with me so far? Last week, if you listen to it, will have made this week easier. If you haven't listened to it, this week might be a bit harder, but you can go back and listen to last week and think to yourself, huh, that wasn't so bad after all. There are some sayings that we say as if they're true. We want to perhaps believe they're true, but in our hearts, we know they're not. It's not the winning, it's the taking part, says the person who's not winning, usually. There's another saying like that, that we think it should be true, but we don't really believe in our hearts that it's true. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The thing about this one is that it is actually true because it's the words of Jesus. Remembering the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we will say to children at Christmas when they're thinking about all the stuff that they want and can receive, do you know what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And they look at you like you come from out of space. (laughs) Because in our hearts, maybe we think, well, that's what you should say, but no one really thinks that's true. Do they? Because we know about receiving, and we know what a blessing it is to receive. When someone gives you something out of their love and generousness, that is a blessed thing. 
I'm not just thinking about Christmas or birthdays or those kind of moments, but in life, when there is an opportunity, perhaps maybe a need, and someone out of their generosity steps in and meets that need, there's something wonderful about being the recipient of that person's love and generosity. When we got given a tumble dry that we couldn't afford, that was for us an amazing thing. When we got given a car that we couldn't afford, that also was an amazing thing that someone else's generosity would minister into our lives. And somehow in that moment, it was not just about the gift. Somehow in that moment, you sense that God has provided and the Father has smiled. So we know that receiving is a beautiful thing. And and Jesus doesn't say anything different to that. He says absolutely receiving is a beautiful thing, but it's even more blessed, he says, to give rather than to receive. More blessed. We, we want the more blessing, don't we? Now we're not so sure. We want the, the, more, the open floodgates, the, the more blessedness is in the discovery that the act of giving releases something of God and his purpose in the world in greater measure than the act of receiving. As we're reminding ourselves, Jesus says, you can test me in all of this stuff. Test me and see if it's true. So how can you prove it? How can you prove that it is actually a greater blessing to give than to receive? Any ideas? By doing it, absolutely, you're way ahead of me here this morning. We prove it by, by doing, by giving. At first, giving will be difficult. It will be a stretch. But as you, je- je- as you stretch and move into a, uh, what becomes a discipline, a habit, into a lifestyle of generosity, we move into that place that Jesus says is the place of blessed. And I think in our hearts, we know it's true because we know people who are blessed and they're the generous ones. Have you noticed that? The people who've got just a sense of contentment, just a blessing, a peace and aura around them, they're the generous ones. Of course, there's the misery guts that are restless and uptight, even if they've got a lot of cash. And usually they're the tight-fisted ones. And you're laughing because you know that what I'm saying is generally true. It might be a generality, but generalities are generally true. So, the only way to prove that these words of Jesus are true is to do it and see. In that sense, I've come to the end of my message. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. Thank you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But I understand that if I was to stop now, you'll feel shortchanged. Because you want some return on your investment, don't you? And I think I understand that, like me... You might need a little bit more encouragement to do the right thing. So we'll keep going just for a moment. We'll wake Anna up when we've got to the end. So why do we give? Why do we give? Well, because frankly, it's all his, so it would be weird not to. Remember what we said last week? It's all his. Every little bit of it is his. So it would be kind of really weird for the God who gives us everything for us not to give anything to anyone because it's all his and we're simply stewards and managers of it. And we are to steward and manage it in the interests of the owner, in the extension of the owner's kingdom, of his reign, of his influence. If we remember it's all God's, it'd be really weird not to push it forward into God's kingdom purpose and to give it liberally and freely towards God's agenda. Weird not to give. Secondly, because God is such a generous giver. For God so loved the world. 
That he, he gave just a little bit? No, he gave everything. He gave himself. He gave his own son. God is a great giver. He's been so generous. And it's all his money anyway. So it's kind of a no-brainer that the God who's been so generous, who gives us everything in the first place, that we should at least be generous and have a giving nature with what he's given to us. No break in logic there, I don't think. Thirdly, we give because we love him and we want to honor him. And therefore, we want to be more like him because that's the goal that will become Christ-like, that will become like Jesus. That, that's, that's the goal of the whole thing. In the end, that's all he's interested in. And as we thought about God's image in us in the last series that we did about identity, we, we reminded ourselves that when God's true image comes to the fore in our lives, we become the true people we were always meant to be. And when we give, when we express the true image of God in us, we become the best people that we can possibly be. And this world needs the best me that I can be. And this world needs the best you that you can be. And so we give because it makes us more like God. Fourthly, we give because it keeps our trust in the right place. Now, I think we've undersold this in our Christian teaching on giving. It's a major theme of the Bible that I don't think we talk about enough. Remember last week, we talked about the way everything is God's, and he put some things in place to remind us so that we don't forget. We talked about the year of Jubilee, and we talked about the first fruits and the tithe. Basically, God is saying that every time he gives us something, we give back a little bit of it to him, just as a kind of check and balance, just as a reminder that it's not ours, it's all his anyway. So whenever you receive something, biblically, the first part goes back to God, but it's not just that we might remember that it's all His. It's also that we might remember where we are to place our trust. Think about the festival of first fruits again, just for a moment. You need the harvest. Without the harvest, you cannot feed your family or your children. Without your harvest, without the harvest, you as a family die. The harvest really matters. The first fruits is the beginning of the harvest in the spring before the main harvest has actually come. So you get the first fruits of the harvest early on and you still have no guarantee that the main harvest is actually going to come. So humanly our tendency is well we ought to take these first fruits because at least we've got these and hold on to them tight just in case something with the full harvest doesn't turn out quite right. We will carefully manage these first fruits just in case. But the festival of first fruits says, no, 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 give that first harvest, that first fruit, back to God. Why? Because you need to remember that it's all His, but you also need to be reminded that our trust is in the provider and not in the provision. We do not trust in the money, our equivalent harvest, but in the master. So when we receive our harvest, first fruit says you give a first bit back in order to be reminded that it's all God's anyway and to make sure you don't fall into the very human trap of putting your trust in the provision rather than in the provider. You with me? Giving keeps our hearts in check and makes sure our trust is in the right place. 
Ten years ago, we were involved in a car crash and Kerry was quite badly injured. And some of you may remember that they, uh, a terrible waste of a car, but they cut the roof off the car in order to get her out. That's just a joke, by the way. Um, uh, and after, after all of that and it settles down and you begin to move on, although the injuries are still uh, real, there, there was a claim. There was a claim against the company that had caused us, uh, and Kerry in particular, that injury. And as we waited and waited and held out for the right amount we'd been advised we should receive, I began to think, when we get that money, which for us was a huge sum of money, when we get that money, everything will be easier. When we get that money, we will have a new freedom. We can take our feet off the gas. Things will be a little more comfortable, not as tight as we've known. When we get the money, everything will be all right. What am I trusting in? I'm trusting that money to create a safety and a security for us. I am treating that money like it is to us a functional savior. When we get it, it'll all be all right. Eventually, we got the payout. We'd never seen that kind of money go into our bank account. In fact, the bank had never seen that amount of money go into our bank account. It's the one and only time the bank has rung me up. <laughs> Reverend Harris? I still don't know who he is. Reverend Harris? What? Who's that? The bank said, do you know how much money's in your account? And I went, yeah. <laughs> and then a few days later, very simply, on a wet Tuesday morning, no frills or panics. Kerry and I were in different parts of the country and God spoke to us separately. And God said, give it away. What, all of it? Yes. And do you know when you know when you know that God has spoken and you'll be restless until you do it or end up in the belly of a fish or something like that? Was he for real? Yeah. Was he still our loving father with our best interests at heart? Yeah. So we gave it away. Now, what happens? Now, what happens? When we face a financial challenge now, when the car faces expensive, unexpected repairs, or when the boiler breaks or the roof needs repair, we've got responsibility for a, uh, another property. I'm tempted to think, or even remind God, well, if we hadn't given that money away, what does that reveal about my heart? What does that say about where my trust is? I'm sorry, Lord. I've put my trust, I put my trust again in you, my master, not in my money, whatever that might be. God has proved for us in massive ways that he will provide. And maybe there, well, there's no time for those stories this morning. But God is always faithful. And maybe this is where the fifth thing uh, moves. That we, why do we give? Because it makes room for God's goodness in our lives. If we've got the lid of our lives screwed tight, then nothing goes out, but nothing comes in either. But if our lives are open, if we're sharing what we receive, then there's plenty of space for God to pour his goodness in. And like water that reaches as far as it will go in all the nooks and crannies, wherever you open up your life to God, his goodness will pour in. We could keep going. There's probably another five good reasons why we should give. But let's move on to a different question, shall we? Because that one seemed quite easy. What should we give? What should we give? 
But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all of your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go, verse 6. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts. The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Tithe, a regular gift, the first 10%. So this same principle that runs right through the Bible, you've received everything from God as a reminder that it's all His and to make sure you don't put your trust in the wrong place, just routinely, regularly, as it's received, give back 10%. Offerings, anything you choose to give above that and perhaps not on a regular basis. We're going to talk mainly about the tithe this morning because tithe is like the bread and butter of our Christian giving whereas offerings are like the cherry on the top. Perhaps that's a mix of metaphors. Let's try again, shall we? So tithing is a bit like the bread and butter, and offerings are like the jam in the middle of the sandwich. Is it jam or marmalade that Paddington bear? Marmalade. Marmalade. You know that story better than your Bible. Marmalade. Great. Good. Really specific about this general principle. Give back 10%. Now, two of the most common reactions is, well, first common reaction, are you nuts? Are you absolutely crackers? Giving 10%, that's loads. Until you remember it's all God's, then maybe it doesn't seem so bad. And this is how it works, quite simply. This is the most expensive illustration I've ever done. The money will be going straight back for God. For me to look after, 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 for me to look after. You got it? God's. For me to look after, 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 for me to look after. So the first reason we go, it's absolutely nuts. Crackers. But is it really? And then the second thing that we say, well, that tithing stuff, that's Old Testament, isn't it? Old Testament, New Testament, love the Lord in the New Testament, joy the Lord is my strength, although that's an Old Testament verse, by the way. And we go, well, surely, surely we don't have to do that now because we're all free because of Jesus. Well, you're totally wrong about that theologically. But even if you were right, even if the tithe is tucked away in some weird principle that you cannot extrapolate through the whole of the Bible, which would be wrong, even if that's the case, if you're to give a tithe in the Old Testament when you know nothing about Jesus, you know nothing about his death on the cross, you know nothing about a God who loves you and has came and has carried your sin and mine all the way to hell and back, do you think we should give more in the New Testament or the Old? So either way... Either way, this principle comes to us from a loving Father for our good. Do this because it will help you. It will help you to remember that it's all His and it will help you to put your trust in the right place. Now, Christians really struggle with it. And we need to make an internal change and an external change. See, the internal change is that it, it, it doesn't seem fair. I, I, I don't, I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure I want to do that because then I go, well, this is for me and 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 this is for me, this is for me, this is for me, this is for me. Okay, I'll give that as my tithe, but is this enough for me? Is this an... Now, that's what goes on internally in our hearts, if we're honest. Or is it just me? Is this just, am I struggling here and you guys are all okay with this? So, so what goes on in our hearts? I go, is this enough for me? Where's my trust when I'm asking that question? 
Where's my trust? My trust is in this. Are you going to trust this with your life? My, my trust is in this. It's the wrong question. We need to make this internal change. Is this enough for me? God, help me not to trust in something so fleeting, so ridiculously here today and gone tomorrow. Do not store up treasures on earth because it all fades away. Then there's an external change that we need to make because many of us find that we are already committed, slightly more committed than the money we've actually got. So you get to the end of the month and you started spending money that you haven't actually got because the money seemed, the month seemed strangely long. So you go um, mortgage, remortgage, lovely conservatory, helps me feel peaceful at night, food, utilities, car, oh, that loan, I still need to pay that back, holidays, oh, kids need some money, whatever that is for you, tithe, oh, <laughs> sorry God, it's all gone. And it's all gone before we've even begun. Because all of those decisions were already in place before the month began. So it's not a surprise that we couldn't do it because we'd made already decisions that make it impossible for us to do it. We've created obligations that are too great for us. Not only can we help people with debt, we can help people with budgeting because it's really important. People spend all the money and you go, what did you spend it on at the end of the month? I've no idea. Honestly, that's God's money. The least you can do is know what you spent it on. Maybe you don't know. I know every penny. Maybe that's because I feel I have to. But there's something honorable about, do you know what you spent your money on? Because it's God's money. All his. Forget about the one that's special. It's all his. And so we need to make an external change about budgeting right. And one of the great Christian financiers, he says quite simply, church is full of people that would love to tithe, but they just go, I can't. There's just not enough money in my month. I can't. And his conviction is this, that if only we sorted budgeting out properly, suddenly we go, there is money to release into God's kingdom. And suddenly the floodgates would begin to open. An internal and an external change. Now, this is one of the moments when I can sound very insensitive. And you might say to me, Simon, you've got no idea how little I've got. And honestly... Maybe I don't. Maybe I have no idea the financial struggles that you face. But if you've not got very much, but you still give a little, or you might think just a tiny bit out of what you've got, you are probably showing greater faith than someone who gives a lot. And you know what's true about faith? Is that great faith moves the heart of God. There are several moments in the New Testament when Jesus stops and says to the whole crowd, did you see that? Did you see that? That was amazing. And he's talking about faith. One of the times was when the centurion came to Jesus or the, or the, because his servant was sick. And in the end, the centurion said, you don't even need to come to the house, just say the word. And Jesus said, wow, that's faith, that blows my mind. And he stopped the whole procession to point out how great that faith was because faith moves the heart of God. And then there was another time when Jesus was watching people coming up and putting money in the offering. And lots of people were coming and they were giving, we assume, big amounts out of their big purses. And then he says there was this uh, poor widow. And should he, she put in just two very small coins. Two one penny copper coins. And she put it in the offering. And do you know what Jesus said? Hey, wait, 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 wait. Stop. 
Everybody stop. Everybody stop. Look and see. Why? Because in that woman's act of giving what we all might say is absolutely nothing, it's irrelevant. In that moment, Jesus says, there is greater faith. And faith moves God's heart. If you want to see a mountain move, you're going to need some faith. That's what Jesus says. If you want to get some faith, start dealing differently, maybe with your money, because that gets to the root of things pretty quick. I've got nothing to give. Maybe you've got everything and you can move God's heart in ways many around you can't with your faith with what you give. Let's hurry up. When should we give? Well, we've been talking about that. Uh, you, You give back in response to what you receive. Income, pension, benefits, gifts, the whole shebang. We're giving when we receive. One young person in our church has tithed everything, student loan, money earned, gifts from others, and God has brilliantly met their needs because God is faithful. And he'll do just that. This bread and butter of giving, you see, is what we do because God says, handle your finances that way. And it's not about responding to a particular need. We don't give ultimately because the church needs it. This church has been looked after by God for 160 odd years. And God will always look after this church whilst there's the people of faith here. So in that sense, it's God's problem, not ours. Absolute confidence that God will look after us. Fortunately, we don't have to trust one another in that because God's bigger than all of us. Sometimes we say, well, actually, well, maybe I give because God needs my money. Now, that's quite an interesting thought. I think God needs my money. You know, the month has been a bit long for God. Let's have a whip round and see if we can help him out. It's a bit like taking Donald Trump for coffee and insisting on paying. It's meaningless. God needs my money. You're having a giraffe. God needs my money. We give because it's all his and it's the rhythm of life to which we've, he's called us to love him and to serve him. Where should we give? You can work that out. Honestly, ask God where to give. Where, where should you give your tithe? The most obvious uh, reading of the scriptures, and Christians debate and differ about all of this. Uh, in the end, who cares? Because God looks after it all. Okay, the most obvious is that the storehouse is the church, and you give your tithe to the church, and you give your offerings to other things or to other causes within the church and so on and uh, so forth. If we took tithing seriously, we would have such an incredible ability to bless all around the world as a people of God. I want to end, though, with stuff that's more important than anything I've said so far, and that's how, how, how should we give? I don't mean standing orders, envelopes, gift aids, all that. I mean in what manner, what attitude... Firstly, willingly. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do it willingly. If you feel under pressure, don't give. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, the senior minister says, if I don't want to give, I don't have to. (laughs) Honestly, honestly, for for your sake, for for God's sake, for the church's sake, for Jesus' honor, Freely you've received, freely give. God loves a cheerful giver, not a grouch. And that's, that's the spirit of the whole thing. No pressure, you're welcome, we'll love you. Keep journeying, be on board, it's all good. Second one is cheerfully. Uh, that's the word we get hilarious from. Some of you are thinking perhaps my giving is hilarious, but in a different sort of way. Cheerfully. Isn't it weird? I mean, the offering's a bit awkward, isn't it? You know, 
and uh, uh, because we, we want to get the spirit of it right, so having a whip round early on in the service is, I find, uncomfortable. You know that. It's like, we're going to have the offering now. Yeah. Hope no one will notice that we're having the offering. Uh, in Africa, where they've got hardly anything, it's the high point of the service. Stuff the sermon and the worship is offering time. And they dance all the way up, and they put their offering in, and they dance back to their seats because it's offering time. <laughs> Do you know? Offering. I get an opportunity to share in what God's doing. I'm in. I'm off. But that's the spirit. It's amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's precious. It's faith that moves mountains. That says, in the end, I'm not trusting this stuff. I'm going to trust in him. And if he wants some of it, he can have all of it because it's his. Beautiful. Cheerfully giving. Willing. Cheerful. Sacrificial. There's a bit of pain, if we're honest, because we're to take up our cross daily. There's a sacrifice for the journey. It's giving up things for God's kingdom and for God's purpose. If it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't cost us, we're probably not giving enough in our lives. And don't let me tell you what's enough. Ask the Holy Spirit. Sit quietly with God and say, have I got this right before you? I want to honor you with what you've given me. And then lastly, expectantly, because God never leaves us abandoned. Why? Because God says if we get this right, he'll throw open the floodgates of heaven. We can be so expectant that God will be at work, that God will move in our hearts and in our lives. It's about our faith that we exercise. So as Paul says, excel. Excel in all the gifts, all the churchy gifts, and this one, in the gift of, in the grace of giving. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And all of it's done isn't it? In the light of the cross. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. (laughs) Lord, we love you. Thank you so, so much for your work and for your grace in our lives. We love you and we worship you and we lay our lives this morning before you. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Carrie's going to come and uh, just share something with us now. Um, This is completely unplanned, um, but I just wanted to share with you um, a time in my life where, um, thank you, um, where I took a leap of faith in trusting in the provider and not just the provision. So um, four years ago, um, I got sent by Kerry to the shop for some shampoo, and um, the road sign really that I walked down really um, was sort of struck out to me, and I just prayed as I walked down the road. God, please, would you provide a home for me in this road? It was the perfect location and everything. And I walked back and I told all about it. Um, and at the time, I wasn't working full-time. So I didn't, I'd been saving, but I didn't have um, regular funds to um, have a mortgage. Um, and then a few days later, my boss called me into the office and she finally said to me, you can have full-time hours, which was brilliant. So I was then in a position to buy somewhere. Um, and a few days later, I was scrolling through, as you do, on Right Move, and I found this house, and it was on the road that I'd prayed about. Um, and I sent an email to Kerry, and I said, what do you think about this? And she told me that she wasn't, she purposely wasn't very keen on being sort of, oh, it's amazing, because she thought she'd put me off. Um, but we decided that we'd go and see it. Um, and seven of us descended on this poor couple in one of my lunch breaks and totally wrecked the place. We um, 
went in the cupboards and things were falling out and all sorts. Um, but as soon as I walked in, it felt like home. And um, the sign hadn't even gone up outside. And if it was one penny over what the asking price was, because of stamp duty and things, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. Um, but I took the leap of faith and I bought it. And it was just amazing because <laughs> I had this thing about I wanted a green kitchen and I wanted a summer house in the garden that was green. And that's exactly what the house had. Um, and I just wanted to encourage you really, don't wait. Um, don't wait until something makes sense because God doesn't work by our rules. Um, whether it's financial sense or just seems a rational thing to do, just do it because God's got it and he's got you. Thank you. Uh, Alice, why don't you come and share just some of the things that, that folks were listening about before the service and then we'll, we'll sing and uh, we'll just respond and we'll bring things together. There are quite a few things um, God was speaking to us about this morning. Um, the first one was like God's got it covered. He's in control. And the verses were from Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you. And also Proverbs 31, when it's talking about the wife of noble character, and particularly the line, she can laugh at the days to come. And there is peace in letting go. Um, also, we can be so busy that we miss the beauty and the blessings around us. Um, there's another picture we had, and it's basically the essence was the sun comes after the rain. And often we take things for granted, and we only appreciate God's blessings after we've gone through the storm. And I made a picture of the scales of justice and a call to pray for a government and those in authority, which we've already done this morning. And then there's a, a picture of two seas. It's actually the Gulf of Alaska. And there are two, two seas, very different colours, but they don't actually mix. They meet, but they don't mix. And it's a reminder that we are in the world, um, but not of it. And then finally, there's a picture of an open book with the words sort of, the letters just flying off the page and into the distance. And we just sense that God was saying to us we're to read the word, his word, and speak it out. And we don't know how far um, his word will actually spread when we share it. Let us be quiet for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Just ask the Holy Spirit uh, what he's saying to you today. <laughs> 